Welcome to episode 22 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. If you have not already viewed episode 2, my primer on numerology, in Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. In this episode, the focus is on chapter 17, The Harlot of Babylon and Her Beast, the first of two chapters in Act 3 of the Divine Drama, a system of organizing the second half of Revelation, and which I discussed in episode 17. John's perspective at the opening of chapter 17 is still earth looking toward heaven. The illustration, John dictating Revelation, is a 15th century Italian fresco in the Greek style at Mount Athos, Greece. I have divided the reading of chapter 17 into three parts, the first of which is verses 1 through 6. The illustrations for this segment are a miniature illumination in colors and gold on parchment, the harlot, her beast, and the lamb from the hoof apocalypse made in France in the first quarter of the 14th century, and a detail, the harlot of Babylon from the Bamberg apocalypse from the full-size version used on page 140 in the companion AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. The mystical number seven appears again twice in verse one as St. John standing on the earth is visited by one of the seven angels with the seven bowl plagues from chapter 16. In the New King James Version used for the reading, the woman is called a harlot. The King James Version labels her by the more inflammatory name, whore. The angel commands John in the first vision in Revelation 4.1 and the opening of the first four seals in Revelation 6, verses 1, 3, 5, and 7 
Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. St. John's finely developed skill as a dramatist is on display here. He keeps up the suspense in the mind of the reader by not revealing until Revelation 17, verse 18, that the great harlot spoken of in verse 1 is, quote, that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, unquote. And in verse 17, that the many waters are not literal seas, rivers, lakes, and streams between the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Euphrates on the east, the outermost limits of the empire at that time, but are the, quote, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, unquote, over which the empire rules. Other similar references, usually to tribes, tongues, people, and nations, were used in Revelation 5, 9, 9, 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, and 14, 6, and discussed respectively in Episodes 10, 14, 15, 16, and 20. In verse 2, the word fornication, while technically meaning sexual relations outside marriage, is used twice to refer to immoral and unethical acts, including loose sexual practices, but more broadly to all the acts of governing an empire and very likely to the idolatry of claiming that emperors were gods. This is an accusation against the people for allowing themselves to be so used. The people of the earth are said to be, quote, drunk with the wine of her fornication in verse 2b. In verses 3 to 6, the angel takes John to a wilderness. During this trip, John describes himself as being, quote, in the Spirit, the same phrase he used in Revelation 1.10 to indicate the presence with him of the Holy Spirit. Numerology appears again with the reintroduction of the beast with a blasphemous name having seven heads and ten horns first introduced in Revelation 12, verse 3, and Revelation 13, verse 3, and discussed in episode 17 and episode 18. The account contains more of the world-upside-down parody found in chapter 16. The scarlet woman's appearance and dress parodies the image of royalty. She wears the royal purple in her garment and is adorned with Quote, gold, precious stones, and pearls. Verse 5 is one of the most dramatic descriptive passages in Revelation in which St. John reveals the legend on her headband, recalling the mark on the forehead in Revelation 13, verse 16. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. John obviously knew of the Roman law, which required harlots to wear a headband with their name upon it. The term abominations, as the Eastern Church scholars who produced the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms have pointed out, it is better understood in light of the literal meaning of the Greek original, bilugma, 
which means detestable or disgusting things. Here she represents the abominations which are symbolic of everything that was wrong with the Roman Empire. In her golden cup, we find an allusion to the Old and New Testament concept of a cup of blessing, but in this case, turned upside down. Here the cup represents blasphemy instead of worship of God and idolatry, the worship of a false god in the form of the scarlet beast. The Old Testament precedent for this form of judgment of wrong behavior is Jeremiah 51.7. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Jeremiah's reference was to historical Babylon. St. John's use of the image refers to Rome the spiritual Babylon. The illustration is an 18th century temporary and gold-on panel icon at Kiji Monastery in the Karelia region of northwest Russia. The reference to martyrs of Jesus has several New Testament precedents, including Jesus' accusation that the Pharisees and those who followed their lead were, quote, sons of those who murdered the prophets in Matthew 23, verse 31. John may also have been referring to anyone who died for the faith from the first martyr, St. Stephen, to Bishop Antipas of Pergamos, who was named in Revelation 2, verse 13, as my faithful martyr. The illustration is a 15th century fresco of the martyrdom of St. Antipas at Rusano Monastery, Meteora, Greece. Taken together, these excesses of Rome are an offense against what would later be developed into a list of Christian virtues similar to that which St. Paul called fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The illustration is Andre Rubelyos' unfinished early 15th century tempera and gold-on-panel icon of Paul. In verse 6, St. John marvels with, quote, great amazement, unquote, at the brazenness of the woman who is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The second reading from chapter 17 is verses 7 through 11. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has much wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. 
The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Verses 7 through 11 include many allusions to history, scripture, and numerology that are not easily understood in our times. In verse 7 and 8, the angel offers to explain the mystery of the woman and the seven-headed beast with ten horns which she rode. The concept of mysteries hidden from mankind and now revealed is an important underlying theme throughout the book of Revelation, as I discussed in episode 15 concerning Revelation 10:7, in which St. John says, quote, the mystery of God would be finished, unquote. In verses 7 and 8, the angel offers prophecy concerning the beast who was and is and is not. But unlike the eternal Lord from Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty, this beast will come out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. The words bottomless pit and perdition have Old Testament and or New Testament precedents. The bottomless pit in the Old Testament was Sheol, rendered in Greek as abyssos in Revelation 11, 7. In Revelation 9, verse 11, discussed in episode 14, the account of the fifth trumpet judgment, the king or the angel of the bottomless pit is called Abaddon, in Hebrew or abyssos in Greek. And John will use the bottomless pit again in Revelation 20, verses 1 and 3. Perdition is a Western church term derived from similar-sounding French and Latin words. In the Greek New Testament, the original word is apolia, a derivative of apolion. Apolia was used by Jesus in St. John's Gospel when referring to Judas Iscariot labeling him the son of perdition in John 17, verse 12. It was used by St. Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, in reference to the, quote, man of sin, the son of perdition, unquote. In its various verb and noun forms, apolia means to destroy or the destroyer or destruction. The ESV translation and also George Ricker Berry's Greek to English interlinear of the New Testament uses the more accurate destruction instead of perdition, which is used in both the King James and the New King James versions. Numerology returns in verses 9, 10, and 11. St. John teases his readers with another use of the concept of wisdom which he used in referring to the name and number of the beast in Revelation 16, verse 18. The seven mountains on which the woman sits in 17.9 likely means the seven hills upon which Rome was built. The seven kings in verse 10a may be the Roman emperors from Augustus to Domitian, including Nero and Vespasian. In St. John's time, many people thought that Domitian known for his erratic excesses and dictatorial style, 
was the reincarnation of the corrupt and probably insane Nero. The Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms offers a more specific insight into who is meant in verses 10 and 11. The five who have fallen are the emperors from Augustus through Nero. The one who is is Nero, and the beast who is and is not and is also the eighth is Domitian, a type of final antichrist. In first century numerology, eight meant a superabundance, in this case, a superabundance of evil. As I explained in episode 13 concerning Revelation 13, 18, the number of the name Jesus Christ in Greek numerology is 888, a superabundance of perfection. Some scholars think that in the complicated sentence in verse 11, St. John is referring to the understanding that while the Roman emperors Nero and Domitian have fallen, one to suicide, one to assassination, the empire remains, but that it will be judged by God in the end. John's point is that, just as he marveled at the existence of the harlot in 17.7, the followers of the beast, that is, those who dwell on the earth and whose names are not written, in the book of life from the foundation of the world in verse 8, will be given something to marvel about, that is, the judgment of the beast, which is its destruction. The meaning of the phrase, the book of life, including its Old and New Testament precedents, and how St. John would use it again in Revelation 20, 21, and 22, was discussed in detail in episode 15, 18, and episode 19 on Revelation chapter 10 and chapter 13. And in episodes 26, 27, and 28, focused on Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22. The third and final reading from chapter 17 is verses 12 through 18. The ten horns which you saw are the ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. In verses 12 to 13, the angel continues the explanation, exhibiting irony and humor. The ten kings, representing the conquered states under the domination of Rome, have authority but only for one hour. 
As explained in episode 18 concerning Revelation 13, the Old Testament precedent for the number 10 is Daniel's vision of a beast with 10 horns in Daniel 8, verses 7 and 8. They will make war with the Lamb, but they will not win. The New Testament precedent for the title of the Lamb in Revelation 17, verse 14, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is from Paul's first epistle to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. The chosen and faithful in verse 14b are the supporters and followers of the Lamb. Verse 15 through 18 are a transition into a dramatic foreshadowing of the next chapter when the beast is judged. The harlot identified in verse 18 as the great beast, or metaphorically Rome or Babylon reincarnate, or in our time all governments and systems that defy God, will be destroyed in the same way that she destroyed others. The key words in these verses are judgmental, desolate, naked, eaten by enemies, burned with fire, describing the ways in which those the empire or harlot dominated will rise up and take revenge. The first of these are metaphorical, but the last, burning by fire, has a strong Old Testament precedent in Leviticus 21.9, which is the punishment for the daughters of a priest who become harlots. The spiritual message of chapter 17 is summarized in verses 15 and 16 in which the meaning of one hour in which the kings will be allowed to rule in verse 12 is clarified. Their kingdoms have come by the grace of God who has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast. They will rule only until, quote, the words of God are fulfilled, unquote. Thank you for joining me for episode 22. Next time in episode 23, the focus is on chapter 18, the fall of Babylon, the second of two chapters in act three of the divine drama that is the second half of Revelation. Other AIC resources for topics discussed in this episode include from the AIC bookstore publications, the companion book in the series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. Chapter 17 includes commentary on the text, plus a full-size high-resolution illumination in tempera and gold on parchment of the Harlot of Babylon from the Bamberg Apocalypse as used on page 140. The book includes 51 illustrations from the Bamberg Manuscript. It also includes my primer on numerology and revelation on pages 7 through 11 and a special text box, Nations, Tribes, Peoples, and Tongues in Revelation on page 88. From the Acts of the Apostles, annotated and illustrated, presented in 224 pages with 77 illustrations from the 9th to the 21st century, The Martyr's Death of St. Stephen, is illustrated on page 59. From the writing prophets of the Old Testament, of the major prophets mentioned in part 2, Jeremiah is the subject of chapter 2, pages 21 to 28, and Daniel of chapter 4,
pages 37 to 58. Finally, from the layman's lexicon, several words and phrases are relevant to this episode, including abyss, angels, slash archangels, the book of life, judgment, lamb of God, numerology, prophet slash prophecy, virtues, and wisdom. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www.anglicaninternetchurch accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website, and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.